Chapter Twenty Eight of Snarleyow by Frederick Marriott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In which we have at last introduced a decent sort of heroine, who, however, only plays a second in our history, Snarleyow being first fiddle. But we must leave Mr. Van Slyperken and the widow and the Jungfrau and all connected with her for the present, and follow the steps of Ramsay, in doing which we shall have to introduce new personages in our little drama. As soon as Ramsay had taken leave of Van Slyperken, being a stranger at Amsterdam, he inquired his way to the Golden Street, in which resided Mynheer Van Kraus, syndic of the town and to whom he had obtained his principal letters of introduction. The syndic's house was too well known not to be immediately pointed out to him, and in ten minutes he found himself, with the sailors at his heels, who had been ordered to carry up his baggage, at a handsomely carved door painted in bright green and with knockers of massive brass which glittered in the sun. Ramsay, as he waited a few seconds, looked up at the house, which was large, and with a noble front to the wide street in face of it, not as usual with most of the others, divided in the center by a canal running the whole length of it. The door was opened and led into a large paved yard, the sides of which were lined with evergreens in large tubs, painted of the same bright green color. Adjoining to the yard was a small garden, enclosed with high walls, which was laid out with great precision, and in small beds full of tulips, ranunculuses, and other bulbs now just appearing above the ground. The sailors waited outside while the old grey-headed servitor, who had opened the gate, ushered Ramsay through the court to a second door which led into the house. The hall into which he entered was paved with marble, and the staircase bold and handsome which led to the first floor, but on each side of the hall there were wooden partitions and half-glass doors through which Ramsay could see that the rest of the basement was appropriated to warehouses, and that in the warehouse at the back of the building there were people busily employed hoisting out merchandise from the vessels in the canal the water of which adjoined the very walls. Ramsay followed the man upstairs, who showed him into a very splendidly furnished apartment, and then went to summon his master, who, he said, was below in the warehouse. Ramsay had but a minute or two to examine the various objects which decorated the room, particularly some very fine pictures, when Mynheer Van Kraus made his appearance, with some open tablets in his hand and a pen across his mouth. He was a very short man with a respectable paunch, a very small head, quite bald, a keen blue eye, reddish but straight nose, and a very florid complexion. There was nothing vulgar about his appearance, although his figure was against him. His countenance was one of extreme frankness mixed with considerable intelligence, and his whole manner gave you the idea of precision and calculation. "'You would—' "'Tyfel, I forgot my pen,' said the syndic, 
catching it as it fell out of his mouth. "'You would speak with me, my dear. To whom have I the pleasure of addressing myself?' "'These letters, sir,' replied Ramsay, "'will inform you.' Mynheer Van Krause laid his tablets on the table, putting his pen across to mark the leaf where he had them open, and taking the letters begged Ramsay to be seated. He then took a chair, pulled a pair of hand-glasses out of his pocket, laid them on his knees, broke the seals, and falling back so as to recline, commenced reading. As soon as he had finished the first letter, he put his glasses down from his eyes and made a bow to Ramsay, folded the open letter the length of the sheet, took out his pencil, and on the outside wrote the date of the letter, the day of the month, name, and the name of the writer. Having done this, he laid the first letter down on the table, took up the second, raised up his glasses, and performed the same duty towards it. And thus he continued, until he had read the whole six, always, as he concluded each letter, making the same low bow to Ramsay, which he had after the perusal of the first. Ramsay, who was not a little tired of all this precision, at last fixed his eyes upon a Wolverman which hung near him, and only took them off when he guessed the time of bowing to be at hand. The last having been duly marked and numbered, Mynheer Van Krause turned to Ramsay and said, I am most happy, Mynheer, to find under my roof a young gentleman so much recommended by many valuable friends. Moreover, as these letters give me to understand, so warm a friend to our joint sovereign, and so inimical to the Jacobite party. I am informed by these letters that you intend to remain at Amsterdam. If so, I trust that you will take up your quarters in this house." To this proposal Ramsay, who fully expected it, gave a willing consent, saying at the same time that he had proposed going to a hotel, but Mynheer Van Krause insisted on sending for Ramsay's luggage. He had not far to send, as it was at the door. "'How did you come over?' inquired the host. "'In a king's cutter,' replied Ramsay, which waited for me at Portsmouth.' This intimation produced another very low bow from Mynheer Van Krause, as it warranted the importance of his guest. But he then rose, and apologizing for his presence being necessary below, as they were unloading a cargo of considerable value, he ordered his old porter to show Mr. Ramsay into his rooms, and to take up his luggage, informing his guest that, it being now twelve o'clock, dinner would be on the table at half-past one, during which interval he begged Ramsay to amuse himself by examining the pictures, books, etc., with which the room was well furnished. Then, resuming his tablets and pen, and taking the letters with him, Mynheer Van Krause made a very low bow, and left Ramsay to himself, little imagining that he had admitted an attainted traitor under his roof. Ramsay could speak Dutch fluently, for he had been quartered two years at Middleburg, when he was serving in the army. As soon as the sailors had taken up his portmanteau, and he had dismissed them with a gratuity, the extent of which made the old porter open his eyes with astonishment 
and gave him a favorable opinion of his master's new guest, he entered into conversation with the old man, who, like Eve upon another occasion, was tempted, nothing loath, for the old man loved to talk. And in a house so busy as the syndic's, there were few who had time to chatter, and those who had preferred other conversation to what, it must be confessed, was rather prosy. Mein Gott, mynheer, you must not expect to have company here all day. My master has the town business, and his own business to attend to. He can't well get through it all. Besides, now is a busy time. The shites are bringing up the cargo of a vessel from a far voyage, and mynheer Kraus always goes to the warehouse from breakfast till dinner, and then again from three or four o'clock till six. After that he will stay above, and then sees company, and hears our young lady sing. Young lady? Has he a daughter, then? He has a daughter, mynheer, only one, only one child, no son, it is a pity, and so much money, too, they say. I don't know how many stivers and gilders she will have by and by. Is not Madame Krause still alive? No, mynheer, she died when this maiden was born. She was a good lady, cured me once of the yellow jaundice. Ramsay, like all young men, wondered what sort of a person this lady might be, but he was too discreet to put the question. He was, however, pleased to hear that there was a young female in the house, as it would make the time pass away more agreeably. Not that he expected much. Judging from the father, he made up his mind, as he took his clothes out of his valise, that she was very short, very prim, and had a hooked nose. The old man now left the room to allow Ramsay to dress, and telling him that if he wanted anything he had only to call for Koops, which was his name. But, going out, he returned to say that Ramsay must call rather loud, as he was a little hard of hearing. Well, thought Ramsay, as he was busy with his toilet, here I am, safe lodged at last, and everything appears as if it would prosper. There is something in my position which my mind revolts at, but stratagem is necessary in war. I am in the enemy's camp to save my own life, and to serve the just cause. It is no more than what they attempt to do with us. It is my duty to my lawful sovereign." but still I do not like it. Then the more merit in performing a duty so foreign to my inclinations. Such were the thoughts of Ramsay, who, like other manly and daring dispositions, was dissatisfied with playing the part of a deceiver, although he had been selected for the service and his selection had been approved of at the court of St. Germain. Open warfare would have suited him better, but he would not repine at what he considered he was bound in fealty to perform, if required, although he instinctively shrank from it. His toilet was complete, and Ramsay descended into the reception room. He had been longer than usual, but probably that was because he wished to commune with himself, or it might be because he had been informed that there was a young lady in the house. The room was empty when Ramsay entered it, 
and he took the advice of his host and amused himself by examining the pictures and other articles of vertu with which the room was filled at last having looked at everything ramsay examined a splendid clock on the mantelpiece before a fine glass which mounted to the very top of the lofty room when accidentally casting his eyes to the looking-glass he perceived in it that the door of the room to which his back was turned was open and that a female was standing there apparently surprised to find a stranger and not exactly knowing whether to advance or retreat ramsay remained in the same position as if he did not perceive her that he might look at her without her being aware of it it was as he presumed the syndic's daughter but how different from the person he had conjured up in his mind's eye when at his toilet apparently about seventeen or eighteen years of age she was rather above the height of woman delicately formed although not by any means thin in her person her figure possessing all that feminine luxuriance which can only be obtained when the bones are small but well covered her face was oval and brilliantly fair her hair of a dark chestnut and her eyes of a deep blue her dress was simple in the extreme she wore nothing but the white woolen petticoats of the time so short as to show above her ankles and a sort of little jacket of fine green cloth with lappets which descended from the waist and opened in front altogether ramsay thought that he had never in his life seen a young female so peculiarly attractive at first sight there was a freshness in her air and appearance so uncommon so unlike the general crowd as she stood in a state of uncertainty her mouth opened and displayed small and beautifully white teeth gradually she receded supposing that she had not been discovered and closed the door quietly after her, leaving Ramsay for a few seconds at the glass, with his eyes fixed upon the point at which she had disappeared. Ramsay, of course, fell into a reverie, as most men do in a case of this kind, but he had not proceeded very far into it before he was interrupted by the appearance of the syndic, who entered by another door. "'I am sorry to have been obliged to leave you to your own company, Mynheer Ramsay, so soon after your arrival, but my arrangement of time is regular, and I cannot make any alteration. Before you have been with us long, I trust that you will find means of amusement. I shall have great pleasure in introducing you to many friends whose time is not so occupied as mine. Once again, let me say how happy I am to receive so distinguished a young gentleman under my roof. Did the cutter bring dispatches for the stage general, may I inquire? Yes, replied Ramsay, she did, and they are of some importance. Indeed, rejoined Mynheer inquisitively. My dear sir, said Ramsay, blushing at his own falsehood, we are, I believe, both earnest in one point which is to strengthen the good cause. Under such an impression, and having accepted your hospitality, I have no right to withhold what I know, but with which others are not acquainted. My dear sir, interrupted Krause, who was now fully convinced of the importance of his guest, you do me justice. I am firm and steadfast in the good cause. 
I am known to be so, and I am also, I trust, discreet. Confiding to my tried friends, indeed, but it will be generally acknowledged that Mynheer Krause has possessed and safely guarded the secrets of the state. Now, in the latter part of this speech, Mynheer Krause committed a small mistake. He was known to be a babbler, one to whom a secret could not be imparted without every risk of its being known. And it was from the knowledge of this failing in Mynheer Krause that Ramsay had received such very particular recommendations to him. As syndic of the town, it was impossible to prevent his knowledge of government secrets, and when these occasionally escaped, they were always traced to his not being able to hold his tongue. Nothing pleased Mynheer Krause so much as a secret, because nothing gave him so much pleasure as whispering it confidentially into the ear of a dozen confidential friends. The consequence was, the government was particularly careful that he should not know what was going on, and did all they could to prevent it. But there were many others who, although they could keep a secret, had no objection to part with it for a consideration, and in the enormous commercial transactions of Mynheer Krause it was not unfrequent for a good bargain to be struck with him by one or more of the public functionaries, the difference between the sum proposed and accepted being settled against the interests of Mynheer Krause by the party putting him in possession of some government movement which had hitherto been kept in petto. Every man has his hobby, and usually pays dear for it. So did Mynheer Krause. Now, when it is remembered that Ramsay had opened and read the whole of the dispatches, it may at once be supposed what a valuable acquaintance would he appear to Mynheer Krause. But we must not anticipate. Ramsay's reply was, I feel it my bounden duty to impart all I am possessed of to my very worthy host. But allow me to observe, Mynheer, that prudence is necessary. We may be overheard. I am pleased to find one of your age so circumspect, replied Krause. Perhaps it would be better to defer our conversation till after supper. But in the meantime, could you not just give me a little inkling of what is going on? Ramsay had difficulty in stifling a smile at this specimen of Mynheer Krause's eagerness for intelligence. He very gravely walked up to him, looked all round the room as if he was afraid that the walls would hear him, and then whispered for a few seconds into the ear of his host. "'Indeed!' exclaimed Krause, looking up into Ramsay's face. Ramsay nodded his head authoritatively. "'Got in Himmel!' exclaimed the syndic. But here the bell for dinner rang a loud peal. "'Dinner is on the table, mynheer,' continued the syndic. "'Allow me to show you the way. We will talk this over to-night. Got in Himmel! Is it possible?' Mynheer Krause led the way to another saloon, where Ramsay found not only the table prepared, but, as he had anticipated, the daughter of his host, to whom he was introduced. Philomena said Mynheer Krause, our young friend will stay with us, I trust, some time, and you must do all you can to make him comfortable. 
You know, my dear, that business must be attended to. With me, time is money. So much so that I can scarcely do justice to the affairs of the state devolving upon me in virtue of my office. You must therefore join with me and do your best to amuse our guest. To this speech, Wilhelmina made no reply, but by a gracious inclination of her head towards Ramsay, which was returned with all humility. The dinner was excellent, and Ramsay amused himself very well indeed until it was over. Mynheer Krause then led the way to the saloon, calling for coffee, and so soon as he had finished it, made an apology to his guest and left him alone with his beautiful daughter. Wilhelmina Krause was a young person of a strong mind, irregularly cultivated. She had never known the advantage of a mother's care, and was indeed self-educated. She had a strong tinge of romance in her character, and, left so much alone, she loved to indulge in it. In other points she was clever, well-read, and accomplished graceful in her manners, open in her disposition, to a fault, for like her father she could not keep a secret, not even the secrets of her own heart. For whatever she thought she gave utterance to, which is not exactly the custom in this world, and often attended with unpleasant consequences. The seclusion in which she had been kept added to the natural timidity of her disposition, but when once intimate it also added to her confiding character. It was impossible to see her without admiring her, to know her without loving her, for she was nature herself, and at the same time in her person one of nature's masterpieces. As we observed, when they retired to the saloon, Mynheer Krause very shortly quitted them to attend to his affairs below, desiring his daughter to exert herself for the amusement of his guest. The contrary, however, was the case, for Ramsay exerted himself to amuse her, and very soon was successful, for he could talk of courts and kings, of courtiers and of people, and of a thousand things all interesting to a young girl who had lived secluded and as his full-toned voice in measured and low pitch fell upon Wilhelmina's ear, she never perhaps was so much interested. She seldom ventured a remark, except it was to request him to proceed, and the eloquent language with which Ramsay clothed his ideas added a charm to the novelty of his conversation. In the course of two hours Ramsay had already acquired a moral influence over Wilhelmina, who looked up to him with respect, and another feeling which we can only define by saying that it was certainly anything but ill-will. The time passed so rapidly that the two young people could hardly believe it possible that it was past six o'clock when they were interrupted by the appearance of Mynheer Krause, who came from his counting-house the labors of the day being over. In the summer time it was his custom to take his daughter out in the carriage at this hour, but the weather was too cold, and moreover it was nearly dark. A conversation ensued on general topics, which lasted till supper-time. After this repast was over, Wilhelmina retired, leaving Ramsay and the syndic alone. 
It was then that Ramsay made known to his host the contents of the dispatches, much to Mynheer Krause's surprise and delight, who felt assured that his guest must be strong in the confidence of the English government to be able to communicate such intelligence. Ramsay, who was aware that the syndic would sooner or later know what had been written, of course was faithful in his detail. Not so, however, when they canvassed the attempts of the Jacobite party. Then Mr. Krause was completely mystified. It was not till a late hour that they retired to bed. The next morning the syndic, big with his intelligence, called upon his friends in person, and much to their surprise told them the contents of the dispatches which had been received, and, much to his delight, discovered that he had been correctly informed. He also communicated what Ramsay had told him relative to the movements of the court of St. Germain's, and thus, unintentionally, false intelligence was forwarded to England as from good authority. It hardly need be observed that, in a very short time, Ramsay had gained the entire confidence of his host, and, we may add also, of his host's daughter. But we must leave him for the present to follow up his plans, whatever they may be, and return to the personages more immediately connected with this narrative. End of chapter 28 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina